the, the best thing we can do, Walt, with these associations in terms of, of like a grassroots recruitment is, is to challenge our members to, to provide their testimony to any prospects. And so I, I, folks like me and Chuck Baker can do a pretty good song and dance. I mean, we're dynamics, public speakers, and, and whether it's a small group or an individual, we can tout and be a champion and a cheerleader for our associations. But the real nuts and bolts, Walt, is when our current members provide their testimony, their testament, if you will, to new prospects. And so uh, I'd say the folks that were at UP when I first started that were very active in ARIMA probably did a better job of recruiting than, than most could have uh, otherwise. And so I, I, you know, maybe that's something that's of value to our, our listeners here today or uh, is that, hey, uh, we, can, we can help ourselves by, by being advocates of our own association and, and trying to move that needle further. You may know the American Railway Engineering and Maintenance of Way Association, or ARIMA, as the, quote, keepers of the manuals. You may know them as the, quote, people behind the largest annual railroad conference in North America. Heck, you may not know about ARIMA at all. This podcast is designed, no pun intended, to change your view of who ARIMA is and how ARIMA has changed the trajectory of many railway careers over its 100 plus year history. Welcome to Platform Chats with your host, Walt Blesser, where he takes a moment to discuss the impacts ARIMA has had on the very people who are proud to be called members. Are you ready to roll with ARIMA? ARE Corporation is a proud supporter of ARIMA and Platform Chats. If you are looking to take your railway structures career to the next level, or simply start it down the right track, please visit us at arecorp.com. Please see our brand new job postings on our careers page or on our LinkedIn page. Hey everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of Platform Chats. Believe it or not, we surpassed the 25 episode mark with our last episode. Uh, if you had a chance to listen to that one with Tony Hatch, that was an entertaining episode. I don't think I had a lot of opportunity to talk on that one, uh, as many of you might have noticed. And if you know Tony and you've sat through his presentations, you probably know why. But at the same time, I thought that was extremely entertaining. And boy, did he come to this uh, to our podcast from a totally and different and unique uh, a point of view on our industry. Um so that was a great one. Hope you got to enjoy that, given that he missed Arima last fall. And with that, continuing our series of talking to some of, we can call them allies, we can call them sister organizations, we can call them whatever you wish. There are multiple, uh, both professional and trade organizations in the railway space. And we kicked off that little series, the mini series, if you will, uh, with Chuck Baker uh, talking about the Short Line Association. I thought that was a very entertaining uh, podcast. And when he and I finished up, he said, hey, I got a few other people you really should reach out to that would be interesting to talk to. And there's several organizations that would love to to get on your podcast and not only just to tell the public about what they do and what serve what what role they serve in the industry, but also uh, how people can get involved uh, if they if if they'd like to get involved beyond just being an Arima member, which many many of our Arima members are multi members of multiple associations, 
and especially with this one. Uh, so today's Railway Tie Association, the RTA. Uh, if you've spent any time on the track side of our business uh, from the arena perspective, you have absolutely you're absolutely familiar with this group, and they are a key member of arena committee 30 which is on ties which is one of our most populated uh well it's one of our most popular and populated committees or subcommittees on uh from arena so today we have nate irby who is the executive director of the railway tie association and it's his turn to give a chance to talk to everybody about the rta and and what they do and uh, what value they provide to the industry. And I'm, I've got a few questions for him, too, just about the future of railway ties and not to give it away, but maybe some of the information on where we're going with with the lack of solids on timber, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but more so, we're really going to talk today a lot about uh, getting getting the younger generations involved and getting current members of ARIMA who maybe not know about this, getting them involved. So that was a long winded intro. Uh, I do apologize for that. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Nate to do a brief introduction uh, and background on how in the world he became the executive director of this group. Nate. Hey, Walt, I appreciate that. Thank you for the intro because you're you're bleeding into more of my time. So more power to you there, brother. So uh, thank you, Chuck, for, for the nod here. I, we worked well with Tony Hatch in the past, too. So two, two big seats to follow there. I hope I... I do it justice. And so, yet again, my name is Nate Irby. I'm the executive director of the Railway Tie Association. Uh, I've been there about a year and a half. It's been uh, a very welcoming and it's a, such a wholesome group, such a wholesome industry. Uh, we play well with others, uh, certainly other affiliated associations. Uh, we're proud to be uh, in the fold with them in this industry. Certainly, we have all of our own little segments that we kind of carve out. Uh, but again, really appreciate the opportunity to be here. I appreciate the fact that, that you guys would even consider me. I'd, I'd say, Walt, that with with some of those things you, you just mentioned in your three-minute intro, uh, we, could, we could spend way more time on each one of those individuals than we allowed in the, in the whole podcast here. But uh, just – Briefly, how I got here, how Nate got to the RTA, uh, I tell folks I am the luckiest guy in the business. I maintain that because uh, if you if you are a, a young professional, I'd say trying to get out of college or, or, or trying to get through college, excuse me, and, and trying to figure out what's my path. If you didn't already know that going into your core curriculum in school, uh, I'd say I'd at that point in my life, I not would have never considered that I would be running, a, you know, a trade association, a membership association, kind of the same thing. And, and so, I'm the luckiest guy in the business because I did understand the value of hard work. I did understand uh, that you can prove yourself, uh, but the timing of things that fell into place, I, I couldn't have scripted. And so I'm very fortunate. I'm a very humble person. Uh, I maintain, like I said, that I'm the luckiest guy in the business. Uh, but my name came up at certain times uh, and it was pivotal for my development. And so I, I put the building blocks together, so to speak, by working hard and understanding the value of work. 
Uh, but the timing was something that I never could have predicted. And so I, I'm from Mississippi. I still live in Mississippi. Uh, for those of you that heard me talk just a few minutes ago, uh, I'm not French Canadian by any means. Uh, I am from Mississippi. I have an accent. I can't avoid it. Uh, but I'm proud of it. And so I come from a hardwood sawmill background. My father was an executive with the nation's largest hardwood sawmill. It was actually based in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which is my hometown. We lived some of the time in Memphis, Tennessee at the headquarters uh, of that large uh, privately owned business. Uh, but we also split our time between Memphis and Vicksburg. And so up and down the Mississippi River, that company at one time had 325,000 acres of bottomland hardwood timberland. Uh, I grew up uh, working at the log yard. I grew up working in the woods with foresters, log scalers, uh, and had a really enriching, enlightening time actually out in the real world. Uh, it was hot. Uh, it was kind of a challenging environment. So I, I quickly learned during those summer stints of working that I needed to go to college. So I didn't have to do that type work the rest of my life, even though there's nothing wrong with it. But I, I realized pretty early on there was value in that. And so, uh, again, being the luckiest guy in the business, uh, I transitioned from part-time work at a hardwood sawmill uh, that basically put food on our table and gave us the livelihood as a family uh, to, to honoring that line of, of work and working with a renewable natural resource such as wood. Uh, it was pretty evident that I was going to go into some forestry type related academic curriculum. And so Mississippi State University uh, had, a, had such a curriculum. Uh, it was called forest products at the time. So it's wood science and technology. So I started my bachelor's in the fall of 2002. I'd say that my primary motive was to maintain a 3.0 so I could continue to live in the honors dorm without getting in trouble with my parents. And then get a job with a company truck and be able to hunt and fish and work some and, and carve out a living that way. Uh, but as I developed a sense of liking the marriage of academia and, and coupling that with my, my actual real world experience, even though it was short at that point, but I'd had enough of a dive into it and enough exposure to it uh, to see that, that the parallels. And so uh, I, as senior year approached, uh, I was offered to work on a master's degree at Mississippi State. And so I transitioned straight from bachelor's to master's, again, with a primary motivation of I'm going to get a pretty cool job in the forest product sector. Uh, I'm going to get continue to, to have time to to dive into those hobbies that I have, the hunting and fishing and outdoor space. I, I really love that, you know, the, the feel good, warm and fuzzies that that gives you, you know, I can, I can collect my own food. I, I, I'm sustainable. I'm a good steward of our resources. I, and I'm a spiritual guy. And so it all kind of came together and coalesced into I, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, my mother was a high school science teacher. And so she taught biology, physics, and chemistry. And with my father being a hardwood lumberman, uh, 
it became this weird sense as I got into the master's program, I really liked both of those things. And so that propelled me to, to actually finish my master's at Mississippi State. And I actually was awarded the Hoffman Fellowship at North Carolina State University. That was in 2008. And so I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. Again, I was a Mississippi boy, Mississippi native, and had a, a, a really keen sense of uh, I liked being a homebody. I wanted to live in Mississippi. And so I took the, the step, went to North Carolina State, uh, worked on a Ph.D. there for three years. Uh, and then I was hired by the American Wood Protection Association, which is a similar space type association, but it's specific to the wood preservation industry. And so it was kind of a postgraduate type stint where uh, I got into the association world and, and started understanding some of the mechanics behind that and serving a sector of the industry. Uh, and then after that, uh, I moved back closer to home because that was a, 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 a drive of mine was to move closer to home. And I moved and I went to work for the Mississippi Forestry Association as their director of communications. And although I gained a world of experience in the couple of years that I was there, I was poor and starving to death all at the same time. And so by a weird circumstance of events, looking for a better paying job in the forest sector, uh, a professor friend of mine at Mississippi State got wind that Union Pacific Railroad was looking for a subject matter expert uh, for their all their wood products. And so ties, timbers, signal poles, switch ties, road crossings, et cetera. I knew no one at UP. Uh, it was a, a completely cold uh, type setup where I just went online and found the job posting, uh, applied out of the blue, uh, a series of interviews later. Uh, for eight years, I served as Union Pacific Railroad's category manager for all things wood products. And so that was a shared job between sourcing and engineering. So uh, procuring ties and timbers, going to sawmills, going to all the wood treating facilities. Uh, and then on the engineering side, if we had a wood problem, I was the go-to guy. And any R&D, I was a principal investigator for. So we did a, a number of R&D projects out on track with wood ties and timbers. I spent eight great years at UP, thought I was going to retire from that. I was still a pension employee. And just, again, by luck of timing, uh, the longtime Railway Tie Association executive director was going to retire. And I had several people approach me from their executive committee. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, but uh I'm a, I'm a pension employee with Union Pacific. It would be tough for me to leave. And they said, well, just keep us in mind. And so uh, throughout that process, I actually uh, made the made the decision. It was a very emotional thing for me to leave Union Pacific again because I'd gone into it. This is a perfect marriage between I understand the sawmill side of things. I understand now how railroads work because I didn't before I started to work for them. They looked, they were looking for a wood guy and I was a wood guy. So now I'm a, a, a wood guy uh, with a pedigree from a hardwood sawmill background. But now in equal measure, I've, I've, I've come up with this, this set of experiences uh, in the association world, in the railroad world, the sawmill world. And then I had the education to, to couple all that together 
timing was perfect. And so in November of 2021, uh, I was named the 10th executive director of the Railway Tie Association. And so, again, that was a, a long thing to, to come back to the, the, the catchphrase here is, uh, Walt, I'm the luckiest guy in the business. And so I'm proud to be here. I, I, I find value in ARIMA in so many different ways. Again, we won't have time for it. But uh, we have some of the same challenges between our two associations. I think that's going to segue into some of the things maybe you and I are about to get into. So here, so hopefully that too, wasn't too long of an introduction, but I, I, I felt like uh, some of our members may have, uh, or the listeners, excuse me, uh, which hopefully are members, if they're not, I hope they will be, uh, maybe we're curious about how does one get uh, to that particular uh, space. And so uh, for better or worse, you have it now. Yeah, that is fascinating. And just, I don't want to leave this out because you still remain a subject matter expert uh, obviously because of your lineage with your family, but you also teach, correct? Yes. Or adjunct? Well, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm adjunct professor at Mississippi State University's Sustainable Bioproducts Department. That's a new catchy way to say forest products. And so all these different wood schools, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State, Oregon State, et cetera, have, have changed from that traditional nomenclature to something more catchy and, and, and phrasy like that to kind of capture some of those folks that might not necessarily know much about the wood products industry, but they are interested in renewable, sustainable materials. And so that's kind of a catch uh, way to say that. So yes, I, I, I do help with the department when I can. Uh, I help with graduate student programs as well. Uh, and I'm the, the chair of their advisory board. And so we meet once a year and, and go over the curriculum. We'll go over teaching spots, research, advocacy, or excuse me, extension, uh, things like that, and make sure we're serving the state of Mississippi and beyond in, you know, the most appropriate ways and, and we're, we're staying current. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't like to talk about myself too much. I'm sorry I left that out, but uh, I am some, I'm very proud of that Mississippi State adjunct professor gig, and it, and it blends well with what I do with the Railway Tie Association as well. So it works out. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just uh, full disclosure. I have uh, been a many, many year member of committee seven, which is timber structures, um, was the chair of that committee many years ago um, and have spent quite a bit of time around the timber, timber bridges. And when you were talking, I have so many, I have so many technical questions <laughs> that I want to get your opinion on, but I do want to pay homage to what we're doing here with uh, the, the agencies. And so, when you were at UP, you said for eight years, um, were you an ARIMA member? And if so, any of the com did you sit on any of the committees? I've always just done the, the ARIMA 30 sub two, just because it fits so much in our wheelhouse. And uh, we had, I'd say, uh, with, with any affiliated associations such as ARIMA, uh, UP had a whole host of folks uh, that served in various capacities at ARIMA. The, the best thing we can do, Walt, with these associations in terms of, of like a grassroots recruitment is, is to challenge our members to, to provide their testimony to any prospects. And so I, I, folks like me and Chuck Baker can do a pretty good song and dance. I mean, we're dynamics, public speakers, and, and whether it's a small group or an individual, we can tout and be a champion and a cheerleader for our associations. But the real nuts and bolts, Walt, is when our current members provide their testimony, their testament, if you will, 
to new prospects. And so uh, I'd say the folks that were at UP when I first started that were very active in ARIMA probably did a better job of recruiting than, than most could have uh, otherwise. And so I, I, you know, maybe that's something that's of value to our, our listeners here today or uh, is that, hey, uh, we, can, we can help ourselves by, by being advocates of our own association and, and trying to move that needle further. I could not agree with that statement more. I could probably end the podcast right there. I mean, I just, that, that is how I, we have very similar uh, stories. I really enjoyed listening to yours. I also graduated in 02. Um, you know, I joined a remake like in 05 and uh, I joined the timber structures group because I had just done some ratings as a young guy. I didn't fully understand um, them and needed help. I needed mentorship beyond the consultancy that I was working for. And, uh, to throw their, to throw them under the bus, it was a lot of Union Pacific guys. It was uh, uh, Ken Wommel, and uh, who's retired, uh, Jeff Mancuso, uh, yeah. who he and I are very close today. Uh, Roger Boris, uh, all these guys were ex Southern Pacific, right? And they were they were keeping these timber structures rolling. And I learned more. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to get in too much trouble here, but I, I probably learned more after five o'clock uh, with those guys than I did uh, between the hours of eight and five, uh, if you will on some of the other jobs I worked for. And they were the ones that pushed it, man. It, you're right. It was grassroots. It was, here's why you need to stick with it. And here's, here's the relationships you're going to build. And I assume you get the same thing with the members of the RTA. And I haven't even given you a chance to talk about the RTA. I mean, what, what is it? <laughs> what does it do? Uh, what purpose does it serve? Yeah. So I, I, I love your comment about after five comments because a young listener I think that's that's equally as important as the day to day is immersing your if you want to really immerse yourself in it and listen to the to the the old guys, the old folks that are in the room, uh, you probably absorb more during those those networking events, a cocktail hour at an Arima, an RTA. And so uh, equally as important as the technical content that that's provided those various functions. RTA is the Railway Tie Association. We've been around since 1919. Uh, we serve three primary functions. Uh, we hold educational events throughout the year, uh, uh, industry statistics uh, and information. Uh, and then, it's, of course, the, the networking, engagement, advocacy all kind of boil into it. So I tell people we're a three-legged stool when it comes to education and uh, data and then, you know, the value of the association by bringing together our industry in various capacities. And so the transfer of knowledge, if you will. Uh, we work to keep wood tie markets strong and sustainable. Uh, wood is still 93% of what's put in track infrastructure in terms of ties and timbers, et cetera. Uh, so that's the majority of our membership. There are some new tie manufacturers uh, in the composites tie side that are developing some technologies that seem to be viable. Uh, there's been a resurgence in some capacity with uh, concrete ties. And so we're very respectful of those different entities. It's just that wood is still the majority of, of what's put in place. And so that's our membership. We're actually north of 3,000 members. And and I'd say it's it's an interesting time for RTA because we're actually in growth mode still. And so uh, 1919 to 2023, and you're still in growth mode, Nate. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Be glad to tell you all about it. And so uh, with, with us taking a, a 
real hard look, deep dive into what is going to propel RTA for the next hundred years, I'd say our membership segments on the polar ends of, of what we do. So the sawmill side and the railroad side are our most underserved membership. And it's not because the RTA hasn't wanted to. They just haven't adopted tactics to engage, whereas the core part of the membership are the wood tie producers themselves, so the treating plants uh, and all those allied uh, affiliates. They have, have maintained membership. They have, even though we've had some industry consolidation, but everybody has, every industry has. And so, uh, you know, your problems aren't, you know, unlike mine. And so as we go through and identify, well, we need to, to, to try to recruit more sawmill members. We need to try to recruit more railroad members. Uh, I maintain that, that, well, we've, we've got to respect and honor tradition. We've got to respect and honor those folks that have stayed with us. Uh, we need to, to maintain uh, that relationship, but also can grow. And so um, I've had several people give me uh, very nice compliments that I'm the perfect guy for the job. And I don't say that lightly and I don't, I cringe a little bit when I talk about myself in that capacity, but with, with my background in sawmilling and railroading and now trying to figure out how to run an association, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, we're in very much growth mode because of, of all these things coming together. And so as, as the waters converge, if you will, RTA is in growth mode and we rely on other associations to help us in that capacity. And so the AREMAs, the REMSAs, the ASLRAs, all these different uh, uh, allied associations, we have some of the same issues with RTA having our own little space, uh, we want to you know maintain that identity, but we can all collaborate. Uh, I think in a more enhanced way, and so we're growing right now. Uh, and it's not it's not all due to my credit. It's due to us, the RTA uh, Association Management Team, uh, listening to member feedback and acting on it. And so every time we've had an event since I started, we've had several now, I ask for polite, <laughs> polite and meaningful feedback. Uh, and of course, I always get a chuckle when I say it that way. If, if I ever become, me or the staff ever becomes unapproachable, then we're not serving the association. We're not serving the industry. And because our members value what we do so genuinely that they're willing to invest their dollars and contributions in all these different ways, we'd be doing them a disservice, not listening to them properly. And so we've adopted this, this whole uh, feedback aura, if you will, on RTA is this, we serve these members in this capacity, but it's our association. It's not my association. It's not the staff's association. It's not one member's association. It's a collective entity. And this entity, you could think of it as kind of like an amoeba. From a biology standpoint, you know we're 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 growing you know diplomatically and, and appropriately. We don't want to change too much too fast. Again, going back to that honoring tradition and valuing what knowledge we have now and how can we adapt, be adaptive and grow. The younger members today, when I get a chance to talk to them, actually recruit one on one, they need to know what we are because most of them come into this industry by way of these own unique stories. My 
feel like my story is kind of unique. Walt's story is kind of unique. Others, it's unique. But raising that awareness is so how do we penetrate those those lines of communication to raise that awareness? We're actively doing that in certain certain ways. I'd say uh, Arima is doing a stand up job of that with stuff like this. Uh, and then as RTA develops that that next wave of membership in all categories, share our successes and our failures with all the other affiliated associations. And so I meet for one example would be I meet with the Southern Forestry Association executives every fall for a fall retreat. And so us executives get together, uh, have a cocktail after five o'clock and then meet for a couple of days uh, and, and talk about running our association. And some of these state forestry associations uh, have absolutely uh, knocked it out of the park when it comes to membership retention and membership recruitment. And so they've hired some great young folks that can help propel what they do. Hey, man, I'm taking notes. Uh, when we do that two-day retreat, I come back with more ideas uh, than I've collected the entire year up to that point. And so... Uh, I would challenge our sector uh, in you know, railroad engineering and maintenance of way and all of our allied associations. Hey, we ought to have a powwow. We ought to get together once a year. Uh, let's do a little retreat, get the phones away, uh, go somewhere. Yeah, and we have a little fun at the so Southern Forestry thing. But if if we're truly indebted to what we do, not only for our association, but for the survival of our, our associations and serving our respective uh, niches of this industry, uh, I think that's something that could easily, hey, come together, compare notes, what worked, what didn't, and then perpetuate that. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's on an annual basis or not, but if we get anything out of this, I'd say out of this podcast, other than Nate has a real thick Mississippi accent, would be uh, we want to work with you. RTA want to works, wants to work with you. Uh, we want to grow our association. We want your associations to be healthy. How can we best do that? How we, can we best serve our industry? This is a great industry. It's a very wholesome industry. There's a lot of knowledge there. There's folks that want to transfer that. And so young entrants into the business, I'd say uh, if you if you come to an arena, you come to an R a RTA or a short line or a RSI, NRC, REMC, you name it, you're, you're going to get exposure to the broader scope. And so, yeah, you could go to your job and, and do your job day in, day out for your respective company. But if you want to advance, I think these associations are a big part of that because they they widen your gaze, they broaden your horizon in so many different ways that, yeah, your education helped get you there, your experiences helped get you there. If you really want to balloon that, you really want to get yourself into a fast track, or not necessarily fast track, but an appropriate trajectory based on your professional development, you know, being members of these associations. And it doesn't have to be that you have to lead a committee within an association, but by the fact that you're contributing your time to be there, because I'm, I'm pretty sure most employers want you to be that dynamic with your job that you're, you're attending association meetings throughout the year. Uh, I'd say that's probably the, one of the, the fastest and, and I'd say most strategic and tactical way both uh, to get yourself into this line of work and really propel yourself from a career standpoint. 
I, I went on a little bit there, Walt. I am writing a book, and so it's called Gaining Perspective, a Primer for the Young Professional. And so you just got, you and our audience just got a little bit of a, uh, a, a segue into, or not a segue, but just a dip into to, to what I'm thinking and how I'm thinking about things. And I'm not right. I'm, you know, there's other opinions that are probably more superior to that. But uh, I'd say that that those young professionals do have a slightly different way of thinking. So we've got to be flexible in that. And so I, I'm excited for us. I know it's a challenge, but there, with challenges, there's opportunities. And so uh, I hope uh, I gave RTA justice there. We're, we're again, 3,000 members strong and, and we're growing and it's, it's evident. Our, our, our meetings are filling up uh, faster than they ever have. And I, I can't take all the credit for that. It's that we've got a supportive uh, membership that is driving it. And so uh, I'm just putting some pieces together and steering the wheels. I love this. Uh, there's so much to unpack uh, in <laughs> what you just said, but I, I'm going to try to focus on a few things. And a big piece of it is, is younger member engagement and, and keeping them involved and giving them a reason to come back. I think that has been a struggle for all professional organizations. I know when I went first started going to ARIMA, um, even the big conferences back in 2005, I mean, it, it felt like it was a, we were doing exactly the same procedures as 1965 and you know we i, I heard what type, what year you graduated so we're roughly the same age and i'm looking at the new generation coming in um you're seeing it firsthand and you're as a professor and a, as an instructor um we're entering the workforce in a different way we receive our information differently it's constant it's on our phones it's in it's in on the uh our computers we can't ever put it down it seems you're seeing a workforce, at least I'm seeing a workforce, uh, asking to, to work from home uh, in an industry that in the engineering professional services industries can be very difficult to uh, learn, say, bridge design, track design, etc. cetera, uh, when you don't have the ability to get up, go down to cubicles or two offices and say, hey, Keith, uh, I, I'm not processing this formula, right? Uh, that's hard to do in a vacuum uh, at your house in your pajamas. And and yet uh, I, I am seeing a switch, not to talk too much here, but I'm, I am seeing a bit of a shift back to a hybrid uh, uh, workforce. That's how my company that I work for, that's how we operate. We like to do kind of a, a three days in the office, two days off or, or similar, whatever works for our employees. Um, but we do, we continue to push the value of these professional organizations and uh, not just going uh, from eight o'clock to three o'clock and just constantly looking at your phone, but actually trying to participate in the, in the technical conversations that are going on and, and, and grabbing someone and going to grab a, a beer or a baseball game or whatever's going on at the time. Um, I don't have all the answers. I look forward to reading that book. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, it sounds fascinating. And I, and I think that's a, you're, you're attacking a subject that I think about a lot and is near and dear to my heart. So it's interesting. Your perspective is, is, is fascinating to me. Um, and to see your, to see a, a, an organization like yours at the age of it to be in growth mode is so cool um, to see happening. And I think, and the idea of having all of the um, organization leaders get together, uh, I've already written that down. I think I wrote that down and underlined it three times because I think that should be, that should, I don't know why that wouldn't. Uh, be happening. We are not in competition. We are allies. We are 
you know, cross pollinating beyond belief at a time that it needs to happen. So I actually didn't have a question on, on that one, Nate, you, you just got me going. Well, I'd like to touch on just a couple points real quick there. You know, as far as RTA, we've changed our annual meeting format. I'd say uh, what Chuck did and what Ashley's doing now with the NRC, they were a big uh, developer in changing the way annual meeting formats happen. So we went to a half day uh, technical conference and symposium and then half day open periods in the afternoon. So in the mornings, you, you have some of those great educational and technical venues that you've always had uh, with transfer of information, et cetera. Uh, and then we go to uh, a half day open period where we've provided meeting space, breakout meeting space. If you want to have uh, some meetings with potential customers or you want to uh, sit at a table and catch up on emails or you want to go on a brewery tour or go play golf, we've changed the annual meeting format based on feedback of, hey, we don't need the all day grind. All day grind is not helping us wholly. You know, the, we love the technical information, but that's not for everybody in the room. We've got some sales folks that maybe want to meet some of their new railroad uh, folks that uh, they hope to do businesses. What's a better way to do that is, uh, well, let's have some open time in the afternoon. You know, and, and then as far as uh, I'd say uh, with with the, the, the industry evolution of work approach or approach to work, uh, you're right. Most of the railroads have also gone to a hybrid approach. And so there's there's two days in, three days out or vice versa the next week. Uh, you can be effective. I, I, I tell my students all the time uh, when I get to teach, which I love to teach. Uh, and I get to do that with RTA too. So again, I'm the luckiest guy in the world uh, or the business. Uh, you, you can be effective at working from home. Uh, you can also prioritize and manage and, and be self-autonomous enough, even if you're not used to it, uh, to be effective for your employer. There's ways for you to promote what you do and how you do it to your employer. So when I worked for Union Pacific, I never was in Omaha. I never was stationed in the headquarters. Uh, and I had a lot of people ask me, like, that's a really important job. How did you not be stationed at headquarters? I was more effective in the field. So I, I traveled 70% of the time. And so uh, I, I could basically live where I needed to live uh, to effectively do my job. I sent monthly summary reports to three or four layers levels, excuse me, above me. And it was a one page, six different categories on what I did that month. And not only was it promoting what I did and, and self-serving in that I justified my existence with Union Pacific, but it also was a great journal entry for me because I would go back several months in the past to see, didn't I check on those ties on the Tucumcari sub in New Mexico in August? And so I'd have this great journal entry where I, I inspected 3,000 ties in Tucumcari, New Mexico in August. And so... Uh, it, it gave presence uh, to, to what I was doing. It was journal entry. It was effective. I would say that even younger folks entering the workplace today, uh, even if you're not required to do something like that, if it's a weekly update or a monthly update, I think you ought to because it would help uh, not only promote what you do and how you approach the work, but if, you're, if you don't get your feelings hurt, if you do send it, and somebody gives you a suggestion on what you could probably change, take that as they care. Don't take that as negative feedback. 
And so if they're, if they care enough to reply, that means they care enough to think about retaining you and perhaps promoting you to a, in a position uh, someday that may not ever get advertised. Something may pop up and you've just now created a communication paradigm where you fit yourself into that by simply by virtue of, of giving yourself a promotional factor of I can stay organized, I can stay effective, and then I, I have enough initiative and gumption to do this on my own, even though I wasn't told to. And then you got all the value of, yeah, it's a journal entry. You could do a chronological thing at the year based off those weekly or summer reports. Again, that gives evidence that you're on top of your job. And, and you and even if you don't want promotion, it gives evidence that, that we need to keep this person around because they bring value. They're a valuable asset to our company. And so maybe that's a tangible thing that young folks could do uh, it's not that much effort. As long as you keep it up throughout the month, it's not like you get to the end of the month. Oh, I got to write this summer report. If you keep it up every few days, it kind of helps you stay organized again. And in different ways, it opens doors that wouldn't have been opened otherwise. And so perhaps enhances or accelerates your trajectory. And then again, it gives value to what you do and how you do it. I'd say all the time to our folks, the power of presence is key. And so I travel all over the country talking about RTA, but I also travel all over the country and I meet new new entrants into this market or the, this industry. And I, and I try to talk to them about not necessarily what I did or how I did it, but get them involved in a conversation about themselves. And these are some of the things that we talk about is some asks, most don't, but some ask, how did you get here? And well, here's my story, but here's some things that I did that I wasn't necessarily required to that helped propel. And then we'll lay it back to their specific position. What do you do and how do you do it? And they said, well, I, I have this job and I do it this way. I said, what kind of special projects do you think you could take on? And so that starts a conversation and that kind of snowballs from there. I'm not, I don't knock it out of the park with every one of them that I meet, but I feel like at the end of the day, they at least gain perspective and that's why I'm writing the book perspective so i love it I, I could probably go another hour i do want to just be respectful of your time as well um from a technical perspective uh some of the i had a bunch of questions rolling around in my brain um you know on on, on committee seven and other areas of of the world of large solid son uh, solid son timber um there's constantly a comment of we just don't get what we used to um, and I see a push more and more towards glue lamb, uh, for stringers and I'm seeing it now for ties. Is that, do, do you share that perspective or would you like to revolutionize that thought and, uh, shake it up a bit? Luckily UP had already adopted a glue lamb stance or at least, uh, Jeff Mancuso and guys like Mike Freeman that work for Union Pacific and others. I don't want to leave others out. There's several. They were already proponents of glue land when it came to large bridge timbers. So if you think about bridge timbers, eight by 10 by 10s and 10 by 10 by 10s are kind of your standard deck ties. Uh, with using a glue land product where you're, you're gluing two by 10s or two by 12s or whatever together, uh, you create some engineering perspectives and verification that you might not, may not necessarily have with a solid song product. So when you get uh, bigger products, maybe it makes more sense for a glue lamb. And then when you get back to like a seven by nine by eight, six, which is a standard mainline grade five cross tie, 
does it make sense to have all that money wrapped up into a, a glue lamp? Not necessarily. It's not that I'm against it, but we do have enough solid sawn out there that's being manufactured today to suffice the industry. It may just not all come at the time the industry needs it because there's other commodities, wood product commodities that are taking away from tie production, for instance, at one any given moment in the marketplace. And so railroads may be dissatisfied. They're not getting enough ties today, uh, but they may get them sooner. And so it's interesting that you bring that up, Walt, is because uh, we've got some alternative species that railroads are now considering for solid wood ties. They're also considering some of the newer composites still, and that's kind of an ongoing thing. But being able to produce a composite to the to the scale of what the industry needs, they lose that consistency of the aggregate, and so then the quality drops off. Railroads today, and this is by virtue of RTA in some part, RTA puts on a, an annual tie grading seminar. It's a three-day immersive class for railroaders, wood tie treaters, salespeople, executives, etc., that helps understand not only the alpha to omega when it comes to getting ties and timbers to marketplace, but all the finer points in between about how to be quality stewards of quality when it comes to wood ties and timbers. Ties and timbers, in essence, are lasting longer than they used to. And folks say, well, that's an inverse from what I'm hearing is that the timber quality is not there and why are, why are ties being taken out faster? Ties are actually being taken out at, at some degree, in some instances, more so than they used to be. Uh, but if you think about all the great things that the wood tie producers and the railroads are doing from quality perspectives to maintain uh, a, a quality level, a consistent level of service, uh, ties are at the point where we're actually maximizing their, their biodeterioration potential uh, and all the things we do throughout the process to get a tie to marketplace, proper, proper quality seasoning, quality inspection points all throughout the process, and then delivering a value-added product with its preservative treatment and all that effectively to the railroads. Railroads are still going to have to replace ties. Sometimes they replace more ties than they need to by various reasons. You may have a super gain that comes in. They may not be back in that area for a long time. So, yeah, they're going to pull some ties out that probably didn't get needed to. And so a blend of all that coming together, all those different philosophies, it's an exciting time to be thinking about different glue lamb products for ties, different alternative species, and then how we as stewards of our industry maintain a high and safe level of service for the public and all the communities that all our railroads serve in North America. And so uh, with, with, that being kind of a long-winded answer, uh, we're open to exploring some of those newer technologies. And we get approached uh, by these new uh, folks that, that have ideas and want to bring it to them. That's very flattering for the RTA. And again, with our tie grading seminar and some of the R&D that RTA has been doing since the early 2000s, you know, we are the resource uh, when it comes to wood ties and timbers. Uh, and again, we play play nice with others. We, we uh I actually have at the end of the annual meeting of RTA every year, we host the ARIMA 30. And so all the different subcommittees use the same meeting space on the back end of our annual meeting to do their business and do their good work. Some of those standards need updating. They're actively, all those different subcommittees uh, are tangibly bringing those standards up to date. Uh, and it's great that, that we have that level of collaboration and kind of help 
uh, all of these things kind of come together and coalesce into what is the state of the art and then what does this look like moving forward? So I hope I did your answer. I hope I did that justice. Oh, you did. Perfect. And I don't think there's a better way to end it because I think that's, that is the open-ended answer I kind of want in the sense of, Hey, we're open to uh, ideas. We're open to seeing it's not a closed minded answer of, Hey, we got this figured out. Right. right. Uh, we've been doing railroading for 150. I, I hear that a lot. Oh, you're in the railroad industry. Haven't they figured that out by now? Uh, I mean, to, there's certain aspects. Sure. Uh, but it's a constantly looking for ways to be more efficient and, and to your point, better stewards of our resources as we move into the future. So I, I really appreciate what is the RTA's website address in case anybody wanted to get in touch with you. RTA.org. 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 Perfect. And if you don't think I'm going to talk to the uh, ARIMA leadership about putting together this uh, this group of folks getting together to talk about what's working and what's not, you're crazy. Because that's uh, that's on my officially on my to-do list. So thank you for that action item, Nate. And I look forward to reading your book. And honestly, this was really entertaining. I just looked at the clock and I was <laughs> like, wow, that went really fast. So thank you so much for coming on, Nate. Yeah, this was great, Walt. Thank you. Thank Arima. We, we, we love what, what we have with Arima in terms of the partnership. And so I, I wish them the best. And yes, please do uh, share some of those ideas. Hopefully there were some young listeners here today that maybe got some ideas about how to help their own trajectory and professional development. My contact information is available at rta.org. Uh, if any listeners are out there that would like uh, have a further discussion about some of those things, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I'm glad to share my story. Uh, I'm glad to connect dots. And so if there's others in the industry that may be more suited to talk to you more about your own career, I'd be glad to, to connect those dots. But in any way that I can help a younger person, and again, I don't want to diminish from honoring those that have served us for so long, they too would agree Uh we have to be looking for the next class of membership. And the best way I think we can do that is a combination of current member testimonies and then us as associations, making sure that we have no barriers to entry, that we are being inviting, we're being welcoming, and we have value to give by virtue of what we do and the potential for all those things that we can and perhaps should be doing to move our industry forward in our respective ways. We'll leave it there. Thanks again. Thanks, Walt. Thank you for rolling with Arima on today's episode of Platform Chats. For further information about Arima, please visit arema.org or contact us at info at arema.org.